0: okay tonight i know we need to complete our overview of the gospel of mark but it's wednesday so look around all right so uh i figured that we'll push that back till sunday and then we'll just do a lot of things on sunday with uh the gospel of mark and then some other things that we still need to to try to wrap up so what i thought i would do tonight is try to accomplish two things but they all are uh related on the church app I created a section dealing with hermeneutics um, primarily for for people who are in a church that never studies hermeneutics but because we study hermeneutics here a lot that we can also kind of you know if I use this recording for that section as well so this is what we're going uh, to do I have a very popular devotional that for some reason is getting more notice now than it has in the past but I think it's I think it's actually an older devotional. I, I've still got to track down the source of it. I didn't even realize it was one in print. I thought it was just something a certain radio station used. Uh, so we're going to see what they do um, on a number of entries, and we're going to try to take it apart and, and see how this works and the good in it, the bad in it, and then and look at it from a hermeneutical uh, perspective. But before we get to that, we have something else to do, something else to do related to hermeneutics and biblical interpretation. And it all started when I was driving here because what was I listening to? Christian radio. Oh boy. All right. And it was that same pastor who's been preaching on marriage. He's still preaching on marriage. And at tonight, they ended the message a little early so they could talk to the pastor about some questions related to this series of messages. I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. In this discussion, he made a statement. Now, he did not elaborate on the statement he did not expound he did not explain so it leaves a lot open to someone who cares about biblical interpretation it leaves a lot to go Huh? what is he talking about so it's going to be our job to find out find the passage he was referring to because he didn't give us the passage so we're going to have to try to hunt it down Number two, we're going to then try to figure out what it actually says. And then three, offer an interpretation. And then we'll go to this devotional. So we're going to be doing a lot of things hermeneutics related. Okay, does that sound good? All right, here we go. He made the following statement. The Apostle Paul tells us that marriage is mysterious. All right. So first, what do we need to do? We've got to track down what he could possibly be referring to. Now, when you say the Apostle Paul says marriage is mysterious, that immediately you would hope he would give a scripture reference, right? So I'm like, I think I know what he's referring to, but I have some, some issues okay, with it. Okay. I think that's what he's referring to, but we'll see. Yeah, I think so. So that would be in what book? Okay, well, well obviously it's no... What? No. Uh, good, good idea, though. Um, it's, we definitely know if it's just the writings of Paul, right? We can probably eliminate what book? Is there a certain book we could just eliminate by the process of elimination? I think Romans could probably be eliminated from it. Okay, I think so. Um, I know, do I? Well, that's not Paul. Okay, right. But I'm just saying we're, we're just dealing with the writings of Paul. So uh, which writings of Paul could we possibly eliminate? All right. So I will say, um, I know 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians sound good because they deal with so many uh, issues. They deal with marriage. Deal, but it's not 1 Corinthians. It's not 2 Corinthians. Not Hebrews because we don't even know if Paul wrote Hebrews. Okay. All right. But it's not Hebrews. Miss Gusler gave everyone a hint Christ in the church. Very famous passage about Christ in the church. Does that help anybody? People listening online are probably yelling it out. Like, how do they not know? Okay. Well, you got the right. You got the right passage in mind. Not Galatians, Ephesians. Okay, all right. Uh, that's where I think it is. And now, what? Let me, it'll be very embarrassing if I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna be able to look it up that way. Look up mystery. Look up mystery. There you go. Try that. Look up mystery. See what you find. See if any can find it yet yet. All right, where at? Nothing? Yeah, like four five six places. Okay, all right, uh, you said six places, you said? Where's the first one? one nine. All right, let's go to Ephesians 1-9, let's do this. Because I think it's Ephesians is where, what he's referencing. Now remember, I can't read his mind, right? But he made it a dogmatic statement. Marriage is mysterious. Okay. All right. Well, well what, what does he mean by that? Well, let's, let's go. Ephesians 1.9. What mystery is being spoken of here? Well, let's go back a little bit. Go back to verse 7. And whom we have redemption through his blood. That's obviously referring to Christ. So everyone agree? Right? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. "...wherein he hath ab- uh, abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself." God has made known to us, those who have been redeemed, the mystery of his will. We could talk about what that references and what that means, but that's not speaking of the mystery of marriage. Agre- agreed? It's not claiming that marriage is a mystery. Agreed? Okay. All right, next use of mystery in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. All right, well, we'll read it all in its context. We'll start in verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me towards you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Verse 4, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, we could get into a discussion of what mystery he's referencing here. Okay, In verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There's some mystery that's been revealed to Paul. We could say, what is this referencing? Is this speaking of the salvation of the Gentiles? Right? Could it be? Is it, uh, is it Jesus Christ himself fulfilling this salvation? We, we could get into a lot of discussions. But one thing, what, what can we be absolutely sure of? It's not referencing what? Marriage. I think we can be absolutely assur- assured of that. All right. Next use of, ma- of mystery. Chapter 5, verse 32. Now we're getting close. All right? Now we're getting close. Let's back up. All right? This is going to be the passage that he's making a reference to. Now remember, what was his claim? Marriage. marriage is mysterious. All right? And he's speaking clearly in the context he was speaking, just so that you know, because the sermon has all been about husband and a wife. Husband and a wife. And he's saying there's something mysterious about marriage. Okay? Okay. What does that mean? Right, well, let's see. Uh, verse 22, Ephesians five twenty-two, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the lives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be... Stop right there. Stop right there. That describes marriage and the marriage is connected or likened unto Christ's church. There's a correlation. Agreed? Then he says this. First, according to the King James, verse 31 ends with a what? A period let me just look real quick now remember the punctuation wasn't in the original I understand that so that's the that's the translators offering us kind of an interpretation but it's always interesting to at least look at to see how people have understood it all right um, Yes, the NIV uh, ends verse 31 with a period as well. So that means verse 32 seems to start what? A new thought, at least to some level. A new sentence, right? And then he says what in 32? This is a great mystery. Stop right there. Now what is the mystery he's referring to? All right, he's referring to marriage between a man and a woman? It seems to answer its own question, right? Or answer my question. It says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. All right. Now, let's be fair here. Let's be as fair. Now, I want to be, and the reason I'm not giving the name of the pastor, the reason I'm not giving the name of anything, because I don't know. He did not say enough for me to be to, to make a, to be dogmatic. He did not say enough. But it, it's just troubling because if people hear this and they walk around going, hey, according to the Bible, marriage is mysterious. Now, wait a minute. What's the mystery seems to be describing here? The mystery seems to be describing the relationship between Christ and the church and what is a visible representation of this spiritual relationship is the marriage between a man and a woman serves as a visible representation of this thing that we can't necessarily see and really can't understand. And what we re- understand is that Christ is the bridegroom and the ch- church is the Bride, and there is a, there's a submission, there's an authority, there's a, a love, there's a giving, there's a sacrifice. So could you say possibly, if we were to apply the mystery to marriage, if we were to apply the mystery to marriage, and I'm questioning if we even should, if we should, what is the only thing we could say is mysterious about marriage? If we applied this to marriage, and I'm not saying we should, According to this text, what would be the only mysterious thing about it? About yes, if we, if, we, if we take, this pastor said uh, marriage is mysterious. If we take this text and say, okay, I'm not sure that we can say marriage is mysterious based off this text because I believe it's speaking about Christ in the church. But for argument's sake, Let's say someone makes an argument and go, well, I think the way this is written, he could be referring to marriage as well. So let's, again, what do you always do when I have a disagreement? I try to agree with the other side, at least in part, and then take it to its logical conclusion. So what could be the mystery of marriage, according to this passage, if we say it is, applying, apply, is applicable to marriage? What would be the mystery? Yeah. the mystery? The mystery is this. No, I think the mystery would be this. A husband and wife, in some mysterious way, serves as a picture of this spiritual reality between Christ and the church. It's mysterious because they picture... That's the whole point of the entire text, is it not? I can't, I go back. Let's go back and just prove my argument. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband, All right, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. Okay, all of a sudden, what is the what are we seeing? A correlation between the relationship between a husband and a wife and the relationship between Christ and the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Once again, showing the correlation, correct? One is the visible manifestation Or the visible, a better word, visible representation of this spiritual reality. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Again, that is the relationship between a husband and a wife. We could get into how we fail in this over and over and over, and most Christian marriages don't, really dimin- don't seem to show this very well, but it's what we're supposed to do. But as a result, that action is picturing something that we cannot see, that we cannot touch, that we cannot hear, right? The the relationship between Christ and his church. All right, verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever, ever hated his own flesh, as we read all of this. Even as the Lord, verse 29, the church. For we are members of his body, of the flesh, and of his bone. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Right now, the mystery. Now, you could say that's mysterious, husband and wife becoming one flesh, but that's supposed to be a picture of what? Christ and his church being united. All of a sudden, when you become a Christian, you're a part of his body, his bride. You become united to him. That's a mystery. What demonstrates the mystery? A husband and a wife. If you're gonna say it's mysterious, it's only mysterious. Isn't that God shows something imperfect, right? Something fleshly and physical, a relationship between a man and a woman in this thing called marriage, to illustrate or to represent this spiritual reality. That is the only thing you could even hit at that, Christ- that marriage is mysterious. You can't just say, well, you know, marriage is mysterious and it's just kind of weird, and that's not. That's not the point of the text. In fact, I think the emphasis of the mystery is the mystery is the church. The mystery is the church and its relationship with Christ. That there is some spiritual unity, that the two become one flesh in some way, one body. I think that's the mystery. Again, I just wanted to show that, again, for a demonstration that whenever you're listening to anything. I mean, that's, that seems like an innocent remark, does it not? I mean, it's just thrown at the end of the radio program. There was like two minutes left. He's answering some questions. He just throws out the statement. Just throws out the statement. And so you're just, how many millions of people, I don't know, were listening? Not millions. Obviously, it's in Abilene, Texas, so not millions. But it's a nationally syndicated program, so could be millions throughout the day hearing it. Millions of people hear it. They walk away, and let's say they're listening to it when they come to church. Are going to their small group and guess what they say did you know yeah let's say a discussion breaks out hey you know the bible says marriage is mysterious well the only problem is that's not exactly what it's saying is it and that kind of stuff happens all the time and and, and nobody ever really takes it serious, do they? I mean, like, let's be honest. Most Christians don't take it serious. Christian radio clearly doesn't take it serious, right? I mean, you can say anything false on Christian radio, just don't say anything mean on Christian radio. Okay. Trust me, we know it's being kicked off Christian radio. We know how that works, right? So um, that's just interesting. And I just thought I would throw that out there um, as an example of, how can I say it? It's not even bad hermeneutics, it's just... It's bad hermeneutics. It could be bad hermeneutics on his part, but we don't know what he's thinking, right? I don't know what he's thinking. It's just, he applies this. I think this is an example of this, and I want you to listen very carefully. There are, do I? Yes. I think here takes a truth. Is it true that this relationship between Christ and the church is mysterious? Yes. He takes a truth, but applies the truth to the theme that he's been preaching about. He's been preaching about husband and wife, husband and wife, husband and wife. Here's a scripture that at least has marriage involved in it, but I think he's taking the point of the passage, grabbing the point of the passage and saying, I'm going to apply it to all of you, making it about us. Now, it is about us, but it's about us, and it's our relationship to Christ in the church, not the other way around. So, again, it's just, that happens all the time, does it not? happens all the time in Christianity where sermons are preached and they grab a passage and it's misapplied to the wrong group of people. Alright? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, let's turn to this devotional that I have in front of me. Now, I've done one recording <coughs> for the app dealing with this devotional but since if, if for, for those who haven't heard let me just back up and at least set the scene here. Every, now, they do it through during the day as well, but it always hits me late at night. It's usually around 1.30, 2 in the morning. I don't know the first time they do it after midnight, but I always seem to hear it around 1.30 or 2 in the morning. Or at least I think, I think that's the time. Family Radio, which is on our app, <clears throat> they do this thing that's called, I'm, I'm going to make sure I state the name uh, correctly, Daily Light on the Daily Path. Daily Light on the Daily Path. Now, it seems <clears throat> that this devotional is in print form somewhere. I've never seen a copy of it, but I think there's actually a physical book called The Daily Light for the Daily Path or something along that line. And so every evening when they do this, or it's morning, it's morning time when they do it, I always... Uh, well. If Stacy's asleep, I'll wake her up and go this irritates me so much. This irritates me so much Why do they do this? This drives me this drives me crazy Stacy just pretty much says stop talking Who cares and I'm like I care here, right? So sometimes then I'll get up and then try to go figure it out and and part of the issue I have is how they do it Um, and part of the issue I have is how this devotional can lead to um, some some misunderstanding. So, here's what they do. It'll be, like I said, 1.30, 1.45, 2 in the morning, somewhere around that time. And they'll uh, they'll come out of a hymn and say, um, daily light on the daily path. They'll give the scripture reference to the first scripture. Then they simply quote the following scripture. Now, this is how this devotional works. The Daily Light on the Daily Path takes anywhere from, you see, let me count for each one. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three. Okay, I don't, there doesn't seem to be a standard number. What the Daily Light on the Daily Path does is they take a number of scriptures, not from the same book, but they just grab a number of scriptures. And all they do is offer the scriptures. There's no commentary, there's nothing offered, no explanation. They just give you the scriptures and you just read the scriptures. Now, obviously, they feel the scriptures are linked by a common theme or a common idea. Now, I like that idea because now it's up to me to get the scriptures and try to figure out What's the common theme or the common common idea? That's fun to do, but what's the danger? Well, you're just taking a scripture from different places. You're saying, "Look, look, they seem they seem to be saying something about the same theme." Putting them together. But are those passages really designed to give me an understanding about this theme or did that passage in its context have a different purpose? Like in Ephesians, right? Like, oh wait, it talks about marriage. I'll just grab it and apply it to this verse that talks about marriage. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down. Now, I like the game because you give me five scriptures and tell me there's something connecting them. I'm there, man. I mean, I'll spend all day trying to work on it. But it's also dangerous because I could be convinced that, wow, those really fit together. And then you go back and like, wait a minute. I think the one I did a recording on is, and they had like five there. And in the recording, I only make it through one because they quote Proverbs, I think it's chapter three. And they state it not as a conditional promise. It's there to try to show it's a guaranteed promise that it's like not conditional. It's non-conditional. But when you go back and read the verse before, you're like, wait a minute, this is conditional. Well, if that's conditional, then how does it relate to all the other situations? Unless all of them are, condi- like, it created a big problem. So, here's the, the biggest issue I have. So, you, you already see the possible problem, right? There's no explanation. They just grab them together and try to, there's something connecting them. The fun part is finding out the connection. The dangerous part is you can be convinced there's a connection when maybe there shouldn't be. But here's the problem I have with the way family radio does it. They'll give you, let's say, uh, I'm I'm looking at uh, the daily light on the daily path for February the 27th a.m. There's an a.m. and p.m. daily light on the daily path. right? So the ones you hear in the morning on family radio is going to be different than the ones you hear in the evening. This is how they will do it. Um, Daily Light on the Daily Path uh, for February the 27th. They'll give you the reference to the first reference. They'll give you the reference to the first reference. They'll give you the scripture, you know, chapter and verse for the first reference. And then they just read the next. They don't tell you the reference. Okay. Well, now... I don't even know. like, And, and, and it, it happens so fast because there's are only four or five scriptures. So literally, they give you the first reference, read the rest, and then they go right on to the next thing. And you're like, Whoa, wait, 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 what was that? What was that? What was that? So I don't know how many times, 1.30 in the morning, I'm like, wait, what, what was that scripture? What was the? Okay, what was that reference? Or I'm sitting there trying to go, okay, I think that's Ephesians. Okay, I think that, well, if I can't go look up the reference... Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I know what they're reading scripture, so that's wonderful, but it's not giving me the ability to look it up. I think in some ways, this demonstrates, again, a problem within, especially the Protestant world. It's just a, a, mis, a handling the scripture in a very careless way. I need what? Do I, what did you say? It's a mystery and a mysterious way. They just handle the scriptures like, well, if I'm just, if I just read it, then something magical happens, right? If I'm just, if I just read it, magic happens and it doesn't work that way. I've got to know the reference. I need to look up the reference and I need to explore the reference to see what it means. So it always drives me crazy because sometimes I'll be like, what did that verse have to do with that verse? Well, there's no way I'm going to be able to figure that out if they don't read it slowly. I'm like, Why not, if you're going to do this on your radio station, why not read each passage? Now, I know it's easy for me to say because it would turn into three hours and that would all the radio station would be. But why don't they they at least say today's daily life for the daily path has this as the common theme and then read the verse, give the reference, read it, say, two or three times to say the next verse is, give the reference, read it two or three times, just extend it for just two or three, you know, just for a couple of minutes. And then everyone would have something to to, to go on to. But again, it's just, to me, it's symbolic of a a major problem within the church, just handling the scriptures in such a careless way. So what I want to do is we're going to start with the February 27th of the Daily Light on the Daily Path. Are you ready? Now, this is our goal. Number one, can we find out the common theme? Number two, is the common theme actually there or is it forced there by ripping verses out of context? So this is going to be a little challenge. Agreed? All right, here we go. The first reference, this is from this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. I'm I'm going to read it from the King James. I've got it here in multiple versions. Romans six eleven. I believe the uh, Family Radio does everything in the King James, so I believe they read it from the King James. This print version, or that I found online, they uh, use. A di- they're clearly not using the King James, so which is also dangerous, because now if you pick the, the if you pick the translation that gives you a connection, is it truly a connection or is it truly a connection? Because like now I got to know why the different translations use different words. Like this becomes. Uh, I'm telling you. It's just a a careless way scriptures are handled in so, so much of Christianity. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Here we go. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 11. Uh, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody got that reference down? Yes? You need to write a little note about what you think this verse is about. Feel free to do it real quick. The next one, John chapter 5, verse 24. 5.24 524. Now, immediately, you have to, if you're thinking in a hermeneutical way, what's the first thought you're going to have here? Wait, I just went from the writings of Paul to John. Different books, different people, different time. Right, okay. Right. Right. John 524, immediately when you look at your Bible, you're also going to note, Christ's words. Now, when Christ is speaking in the Gospels, what's always the thing that we take note of? He's usually speaking to, to people. True? All right. So that's, that's, that, these are just little hermeneutical clues you look for. Okay? When Paul's writing an epistle, the epistle is usually, it may, it may deal something specifically with that church, or it may have a broader cor, uh, connection. Sometimes when Jesus is speaking to people, it has an immediate issue, and then sometimes it has a broader. So those are questions you have to ask yourself. All right? John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Read that again. John five twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So if you need to write a note down about what you see there, if you see any connection with Romans 6, feel free to write it down. Again, this is an interesting way to do a devotional, isn't it? There's no writing. There's no explanation. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Is the next reference. Right, now, in the print one, they give the references. Yeah, in the print one, they give the reference. And on the radio, they don't. They just give the first reference. and Then read the others with no, you have no idea where it came from. So you're sitting there trying to go, what's the connection, what's the connection, what's the connection? All right, Galatians 2. Now we're back to Paul. Now we're writing to a different church, different set of circumstances, right? Galatians 2, verses 19 through 20. For I... Through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Read that again, Galatians 2, verses 19 and 20. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, stop right there. If you need to write something down, do you see a connection between this and the passage in John or passage in Romans? Do you see what they're thinking? Do you seeing how they link these together? Okay. You, can, you can take down whatever you think is going on here. All right, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I am going to try to track down the origin of this devotional practice, and I'm just curious, what's the origin of this? What were they thinking when they came up with this concept? John chapter 14. It it almost reminds me of lectionary reading, but it's like, uh, I guess lectionary reading is too much because they, they read lo- large sections of scripture. Okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. This is just interesting. Uh, it does have that feeling of lection- if For those who are not familiar with lectionary reading, I mean, you have an Old Testament, you have a psalm, you have a uh, gospel, and you have an epistle. Right. Yeah, and there's usually a theme, the connection. But there are large sections of scripture. So. And, and, and there, there was a reason the early church did that. This one just seems weird. This seems like the modern idea. The, the, few, the fewer words the better okay. alright the next so the, uh, the last one we read was uh, Galatians 2 19 through 20 now we're back to the Gospel of John chapter 14 verse 19 yet a little while and the world seeth me no more but ye see me because I live ye shall live also alright let me read that again, John fourteen nineteen. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. All right? Everybody got that? You see a connection there? All right? John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John ten twenty eight through 30 let's read it again. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. All right. See a connection developing? I think, I think it would probably be best to say we may see a theme developing. I don't know if there's a true connection developing, but we see a theme, I think. All right. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1. And verse 3, Galatians chapter, I'm in Galatians 2, that's why it's making absolutely no sense. Okay, I'm looking at that going, what is going on? Okay, here we go. This makes more sense. Galatians chapter 1, or Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Everybody ready? O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ Hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Verse 3 Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? There is the daily light on the daily path for Friday, or for today, Wednesday, February the 27th. All right, this morning. Okay, I, I know, we got a lot to work on here. All right. Now, immediately, you see the fun, or at least for me, it, that's fun. Okay, i got to figure this out. But can you not see the danger? Not only the danger, you could even argue the value. Right? You could argue the value. Now, if this, and I'm almost positive this is a devotional that's in some kind of print form because I was trying to find a photo for when I posted the audio of my recording. And when I was looking, There were some books with that same name. The covers of books. Now, of course, I wasn't able to see inside the book, so I'm going to try to track one down. And if I can find one, I'm going to be curious if if this is actually a devotional like that. I know this. Family Radio, they use it. They use it multiple times a day. I know the uh, website Biblehub.com. Biblehub.com, which is a, it has uh, dictionaries and concordances and all kinds of study tools. If you click on the devotional section, they use this devotional. So that means millions of people are being exposed to it. I mean, uh, Family Radio's been around for 65 years. Um, they've been around forever. and uh, they're, you know, They broadcast around the world. So there's a lot of people who get exposed to this kind of devotional material. Now, the reason I want you to understand that is sometimes if people are using this for their devotional food and you engage them, their understanding of hermeneutics is going to be radically different than your understanding of hermeneutics. That's why sometimes two Christians are talking and they're speaking a different language. This is just randomly taking scripture and just saying, see, this scripture connects to this scripture, and this scripture connects to this scripture. I have seen this happen in debates, where someone is debating, It it could be any doctrinal issue, and it just becomes... Like, you, you, you're debating an issue, and i will say, well, in Proverbs, it says this, and, and and Romans, it says this, and you're like, what is going on? Like, okay, you're just throwing scriptures that use the same word. Like, we've we got to work this out. we gotta, we got to understand this. Does that make sense? So, let's work through this and try to figure out what they, what they are arguing or what they are claiming the common theme is. So, when you look at these scriptures, we had a total, what, five? One, two, three, four, five, six. When we look at these six scriptures, what theme do you think they're going for? Okay, let's do it this way because I like to be as fair as I can. Let's say they're going with a theme of death and life. Death and life. Well we'll we'll just go with the the surface level. We won't try to get into and explain it. There, it seems like they're finding verses that uses words like dead and life, right? Death and life. So it seems the theme is death and life. All right. Now that's that's an interesting theme, agreed. All right. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? Okay, well let's let's if if we were now see this is the kind of devotional that requires some effort. This requires some work. Okay. So we have six verses that's supposed to tell us something about death and something about life. Now, obviously, this is not meant to be a conclusive study on the subject of death or life, agreed. It's supposed to be six verses. Now, there's already danger right there, right? Because if, if someone listens and gets six verses about death and life and think now they're somehow they understand the subject, they're sadly mistaken because we'd have to look at every verse about death and life. But let's take these six and try to figure out what is it teaching us about death? What is it teaching us about life? All right. The first passage is found where? Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Now again, it's taken completely out of its context, is it not? All right. But according to this verse, what we, can we learn about death or life? Well, according to this, we are to consider ourselves... To be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, number one, we are to reckon, that's the King James word, consider ourselves, as a believer obviously, to be dead to sin and alive to God. We are to reckon ourselves so. Now this gets into a big discussion Right. Remember, we could get um, this could lead to theological arguments that would last to the end of time. Right. Because am I really dead to sin? And if I'm dead to sin, am I dead to sin positionally or am I dead to sin practically? Well, if you say you're dead to sin practically, then why do you sin? Is it because you don't reckon yourself dead to sin? And if I reckon myself dead to sin, then does that mean I can live a life without sinning? Do I consider myself dead to sin positionally, and I try to live out the reality of that positional thing in my, this leads to, see, that's already the problem with just quoting that verse, is it not? I mean, this thing has got a million, there's a million theological questions here. And pastors do this, uh, devotional material just quotes the verse. And I understand that you can say, well, there, and I hear this all the time, well, my pastor doesn't, or I've heard pastors say this, well, I don't have the time to go into all of that from the pulpit. Okay, well, if you don't have the time to go into all of that from the pulpit, who's going to make the time to go into all of that? And they're like, well, that's what you do in seminary. Not everyone goes to seminary. So who's supposed to be teaching the people who don't go to seminary? Like, I've always understood, like, pastors like because i've had what our number one argument against this church has always been you're a seminary you're not a church that's what i always hear and i usually hear this from pastors and i'm always like okay well then why did we go to seminary like why do we learn all of that stuff if we're never going to Teach that stuff. Well, it's good that you know that that the Greek this or the Hebrew that, and you know that that hermeneutical principle. You're just supposed to somehow take all of that learning and then condense it down, condense it to a 35-minute practical sermon that's entertaining and is not too deep because you know you don't want to go too deep because you'll lose your people. I've always he- heard that. You can't explain that to people. They'll never understand. So you're telling people that only smart people go to seminary. Only smart people. All the dumb people, they sit in the pew. No, I went to seminary. There was a lot of dumb people there, okay? All right, that's, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, pastors don't have some extra intelligence. I mean, listen to preaching. (laughs) Clearly it doesn't, right? But the point is, is what we're supposed to do is take, and, and I know... I know most Christians won't agree with this. I think we're supposed to take what we learn and try to find a way to give it to you. Because if what we're learning in seminary is important to understanding God's word, then it has to be important to you because you want to understand God's word. And it can't be that I go learn. Because that's very Catholic, right? I go to seminary. I'm now the magisterium. I now express to you the truth. And now you are... Wait, the pro- nobody in your, in your congregation is bound to listen to anything you say. I mean exactly. Am I supposed to be the one rightly divided? or we're supposed to be all together? So, but you already see, just quoting this verse, do you see all the problems? Okay, I consider myself dead. Am I considering myself dead positionally or practically? If I, it, it, what's the reality? If I'm dead, then why do I sin? Because everyone believes we're going to sin. But there is at least this element here that they want us to take from this devotional. And we can at least play along, right? I am to reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God. I am to consider that way. So in other words, in this case, in a practical way, what does that mean? That I am to live my life like sin? I'm dead to it. But what am I, what am I alive to? to God. And we all know what it means to be alive to something, right? Okay. There are certain things you're not alive to. Right? There are times when you're preaching and you can clearly tell that there's someone in the congregation who's not alive to anything you're saying and wish you would just stop talking. Okay? Usually it's young people. All right? Okay, but And you're like, I'm trying to talk, would you let But they're not alive to anything you're saying. They're dead to you because you're, d- you're talking scripture and they got more important things to, to worry about. That, that happens in church. That happens everywhere. It happens, in, like if I was talking about a subject, you would probably say, oh, he's alive to that subject. And you may be like, oh, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Well, what this passage says, at its bare surface, and I know this is shallow, but it's a service is basically saying if you're a Christian sin you should be like dead to that. God, I'm alive to I care about. Does that make sense? All right. That's Romans 6:11. That brings us to John 24. John 5:24. I got multiple translations up here. Let's pull out the King James. John 5:24. Jesus is speaking Verily, verily, truly, truly, I think is another way of saying that. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into uh, condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. All right. Now we see kind of a correlation. Why should I be dead to sin? Because if I have heard his word and believed on him, I have been, what's the uh, word the King James uses? I have come, I have. Um, I shall not come into condemnation, but I have passed from death unto life. I have passed. I have, uh, what's, uh, see how the other uh, translations use the word. I, I have passed out of, I have passed out of, let's go to, Go to John 5 here in the NIV. If I can get there. I bet you it uses the same phrase. That's 24. Oh, I have crossed over. I have crossed over from death unto life. I have passed over. I have passed from. Something has occurred. Now, again, um, John, though there is, an, there is a requirement that must be met. Right? What's the requirement in John 5? There's two. Two requirements. Here's my word. Believeth on him who sent me. They have eternal life. And they have passed from condemnation. They have passed from death unto life. Now, because I've passed from death, what death is that referring to? Spiritual death? I have passed from the reality of eternal death, right? So I've passed from death, now I have passed into life, and now I have everlasting life. And when does everlasting life begin? Yeah, eternal life is not just a link, it's a quality. It's something that we experience right now. I've passed from death in a real spiritual way. I'm now—I now possess eternal life. I will live forever in the presence of God. Okay, so if that is true, if John 5:24 is true, then my action should reflect what's stated in Romans, where I consider myself dead to sin. Because I've passed from death unto life. So I should be alive to God because I have eternal life. Does that make sense? I can see a connection there. There. Now again, the only problem is Romans, Romans has about 50 issues I've got to talk about. I've got a lot of issues to talk about. And obviously, John, the main important thing about John is understanding those requirements, right? There are conditions, right? Okay, everybody got that? That leads us to Galatians 2. Verses 19 through 20. But you see how, how much time you have to do this? Like just reading this, I don't even understand the point. Like when they do it on Christian radio, I'm like, I'm, I don't even get the point. I don't even have time to even try to put this together. I mean, you would have to hear it on family radio. I would ch- listen to family radio for a day. You'll hear them do it. Just hear how fast it goes. It's like, boom. And it's like, what just happened? What was that? Like. I'm like, okay, well, um, thank you for reading the scriptures, I think. I don't even know what scriptures you read because you didn't give me all the references. I don't know what the point was, but okay. Sometimes Christians, we do things that don't even have a reason why we do them, but that's a different story. All right, Galatians 2. Now, this one again raises lots of questions. All right, Galatians 2, verse 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Now, it's weird how through the law, I'm dead to the law. That's kind of weird how that works, like exactly what's going on here. But what do we have uh, showing up again? Death and life. Now, before, we've kind of shown being dead to sin, or we consider ourselves dead to sin. We we, We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sin. We've passed unto life. Here, though, it's being dead to what? The law. But alive unto God. Is that what the text says? All right, now we got to quite figure out how it means through the law. I'm dead. It's just, that's a weird. Yeah. Uh, Galatians 2, I'm reading it in a different translation. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I think think this is what this is saying. Now, again, we're just doing this the way we would do a devotional, right? And here, what's the problem? If I read that, i got to try to find a way to understand it, correct? That's the danger, right? Can we do proper hermeneutics by just reading this? No, we need to really figure out what's going on. I think this is what it's saying. Please don't take this. I'm going to throw the idea where you could then go study it a little more on yourself. All right, you ready? Here we go. The law brings about what? Death. Right? The law kills us. It says you're guilty. And because we're guilty, what does it require? Yes, yeah, so through the law, I died. I died. And because of that, what does it seem to promise? That I might live to God. Why can I live to God? Because I, because I, cannot, become, I cannot become alive to God until I realize that I am dead and the law kills me. So through the law, I become dead. Right? In other words, this is why in evangelism, what's critical? The law has to be presented to people because pe- people have to realize that they deserve what? Death. Death. They are condemned. Remember John, the passage in John? We've passed from condemnation unto life. You're dead. Well, how do you know you're dead? Here's the law. What does the law say? You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Therefore, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. So now what's my only hope? Well, once I realize I'm dead, then I can become alive unto God. Not alive back to the law. I don't become alive like, oh, now I can, I, can, I can go back and try to fulfill all the law. I'm dead to the law in the sense that my hope for salvation is not my ability to keep the law. My, I'm alive unto God because God is the only source of my life. Does that make sense? Back to John 5. See the connection? All right. So far, so good. But it continues. For th- and again, that's just a, a, a surface level interpretation. For I, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. F- I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now what do we have again? Death and life. I am crucified. I have died. Now, who is supposed to be living through me? Christ. Again, it's the same concept. I am to be considered myself dead. Now, again, how am I dead? Am I crucified practically or am I crucified positionally? Well, if I'm crucified practically, then why do I sin? Because dead people have a hard time sinning. <laughs> right? But if I'm dead, positionally, then what does this mean? I need to constantly remind myself of my position. I am dead in my trespasses and sin, but God has made me alive because of Christ Jesus. But because I'm in Christ Jesus, I am dead. I am no more positionally because I'm in Christ, and now I need to live out the positional truth in a practical way. Am I going to do it perfectly? Clearly, we know we don't. But how am I to live my life? In Christ, through Christ. All right. Does that make some sense? That seems connected? Yes? Not perfectly, is it? Because this is dealing with some, inma- some deep spiritual issues, right? We're talking about uh, everything dealing with soteriology here. All right. What verse was that? Oh, man, we're going to run out of time. All right. John 14, 19. All right. What is this referring to? John 14, 19. Who's speaking? Christ. All right. John 14, 19. Make sure I'm there. I'm in Luke. Makes absolutely no sense. Okay. I'm sitting there. That's talking about like a goat and I don't know what's going on there. Okay. Okay. I'm like, what is happening? Okay. And like we already read this once. John 14, 19. All right. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. Stop right there. All right. What is Jesus possibly referencing the fact that the world is not going to see him anymore? What is he possibly speaking of? His crucifixion. Right? And then, of course, ultimately he'll ascend into heaven. But once he's dead, the world is not going to see him anymore. All right? But, so that speaks of death. Yeah. But ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. All right, he's using, now this is a typical thing Jesus does. He's speaking of a physical thing that's going to happen, his death, right? They will see him alive, right? They see him now, but it also seems to indicate a possible promise, possibly, right? Because they will witness his resurrection, correct? All right, and because he lives, they will live. Live what way? I don't think that's a reference to their physical life, because they're all going to ultimately die, right? Being martyred? correct? Okay, I think that tr- John is the only one who lives longer uh, in his exile, but all of them are basically going to be martyred. So I think he's like, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to die. You're going to see me. You see me now. It's, I think that seems to possibly be a kind of a, an implication of a future seeing. I could be wrong there. You have to look at uh, some tenses of the words there in the Greek. But what's a promise of? That they will live. And I think that has to go back to a spiritual promise, right? Or maybe he's making an immediate promise that they will at least live to see his resurrection. That they're going to be kept safe for that period of time, which they were. They did not die. I don't know. There's a lot. Again, that requires a lot of what? Work. A lot of work. I'm trying to figure out what Jesus is saying. All right. Let's go to John 10 really quick. Two to go. We can do this. John 10 28 through 30. John 10 28 through 30. Hurry! 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 John 10, 28 through 30. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, immediately we have a a contrast between what two concepts again? Life and death. Life and perishing. Now, he's not speaking of physical perishing, right? Eternal life is contrasted with eternal punishment or eternal perishing, right? Right? My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Again, what's the contrast, though, between? Life and death. Life and death. But who gives the life? It comes through Christ. It comes through Him. It comes through, And because we are alive to God, we have to... Con, and that's why the first verse, and I think that's why... I think these devotionals are almost based off the first verse. That's why I think Family Radio gives you the first reference, and all the rest is just built, they think is building on that idea, which they are in part, but we still have to be careful. The idea here is hey, reckon yourself dead to sin, to condemnation, to hell, to all of that, and consider yourself alive to God with alive to God spiritually, alive to God eternally. All right, Galatians 3, this one is the only weird one, is it not? Galatians three, verse one. I'm going to read it from this translation. "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified." All right, there's death. Agreed? There's death. So that's not when that was not so hard, but where's the life? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the... Alright. What is the, cor- the correlation here? Jesus died, how do you now live? Jesus died, how do you now live? How are they not to live? Not by the flesh, because what's, what's the, our view? We have been crucified with Christ. We are to be dead to the flesh. Dead, what are we to be alive to? God, and here in Galatians 3, that's a reference to the spirit. I think that's the issue. It's an acknowledgement that something, that death and life is a key description of the Christian life. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead in the law. But by his word and by believing in him, we have been given spiritual life eternal life and now we are to live a life that shows we are now dead to the old and alive to God and our lives should reflect that life there is a possible path through all of this, agreed? there's a possible path through all of this but listen carefully it took more than a minute it took us, you know, I don't know 45, 40 minutes to try to work that out this is the thing this kind of devotional is wonderful if you're willing to do the work. If you're not willing to do the work, this devotional could be possibly downright dangerous. Because it could lead you to all kinds of misinterpretations. Because what will most people do? Just read it. Okay. You were or still are? No, okay, I was. Okay, you was. Okay, wait. Right. right. It does make sense. now, and, and there's some good that comes from it. But it requires an exposition. It requires a, a requirement. Now, that's good if you're willing to do the work. But if you're not willing to do the work, you're just throwing words together. But it's still dangerous in this part. And, I wanna, and, I'll, and I'll end with this. I, this is what I want to make sure you realize. When you see a devotional like this, can we get something good out of it? Hey, man, obviously if we do the work. Because it's God's word. If it's God's word, we can find something good from it. Here's the danger, though. You do not form, listen carefully, you do not form doctrinal belief, you do not resolve doctrinal conflict by the random attaching of scriptures that may use the same word. What is required is to go, okay, first thing that would be, uh, I'll just give you some basic ideas. First thing that would be required is find the passage that speaks the most authoritative and in-depth on the subject, right? You've got some passages where, some scriptures where you'll have a, like, that may be the theme of the whole book. The whole book may be dealing with it, correct? Like, how do, how do the Gentiles fit in? Well, Galatians is a major book that deals with that, correct? All right, all right. There's, there's, some, there's some books that just seem to be, that's what they're speaking. Romans is speaking about soteriology, Right? Clearly, we're dead in sin. How are we saved? Right? It's going on. Then in chapter 12, it kind of goes into a more practical way. All right. If I'm arguing soteriology with someone and they just want to grab a scripture, I'm going to grab one from Proverbs. I'm going to grab one from Psalms. I'm going to grab one from Exodus. Stop! (laughs) Let's go to this book. And let's expound these chapters and try to establish a basic teaching. Let's find passages, not just individual verses ripped out of their context. You can't just, that's called death by cross-referencing, and so many Christians argue that way. They just, uh, you start going baptism and you'll like, they'll be like, you start talking about baptism. Is baptism required for salvation? Well, what about the thief on the cross? Now, at some point you want to talk about the thief on the cross. I'm not saying you don't, but what do we need to do to f- first? Is baptism, is baptism even mentioned in that passage? No, obviously not, right? Because he wasn't baptized, right? So that's why you may want to run to it if someone is arguing for baptismal regeneration. But we're going to have to step back and do what? Look up every passage that uses the word. If there's a lengthy discussion about the subject, if there's like one chapter, or a, then we definitely want to go to that first, correct? Then we're going to have to go, and once we start getting that list of scriptures dealing with baptism, what are we going to have to do? Not just argue the scripture, like who can quote the most. For each scripture, we have to back up and go, who was this written to? What was going on? What's the context? Then we establish, what is this verse teaching us about baptism in light of its original context? Next, what's this verse? Next, what's this verse? Next, what's this verse? verse? Okay. What's the conclusion? I think we can come to some basic conclusions if we look up all the verses about baptism, okay? Not to get into a doctrinal argument about baptism, just baptism, but just to show you how it would work. I think we can come to the conclusion, it almost implies they go down into the water. Seems to imply, Right? That seems to imply. And when and then that one passage in Acts, when they're looking, can I be baptized? There's much water here. Well, why do you need much water? Why do they have to get out of the chariot to go all the way down into the water? It seems to imply they get into the water. I think we can agree on that, right? Okay. Um, second, in almost every case where we actually see people being baptized, they seem to always be people who are older and have believed or received his word. Right? What keeps me from being baptized? You have to believe. That seems to be the requirement. Agreed? Do we have passages where it says the entire household was baptized? Yes, but now you have to make assumptions. Well, there had to be babies in the house. Really? Really? Because Abraham went a long time without a baby in his house. Right, a long time without a baby. In his, there were a lot of people in the Bible who didn't have kids, right? For a long period of time, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Like, and they had to go find someone else to get a baby, okay? So you can't tell me that people then always had babies because I've got biblical examples of people who didn't have babies for a very long... I mean, how old was Abraham and Sarah before they ended up with a kid? I, I was, that was, yeah, I mean, look, I'm like, whoa, that's a long time without a kid, right? So you can't tell me that just because it says a household... Everyone immediately, that that, that required babies. Not only that, by that logic, if we applied that logic, because that's the argument for uh, infant baptism, we can apply this argument to the Pierce household. At any time in your household, you've had who knows who there. Right? You've had all kinds of people. Related, not related, who knows? They've always got someone living in their house, okay? Now, at any particular time, according to that logic, If Bobby finally got saved, then we just baptize everyone in the house. Well, that would not make sense, right? Because not everyone in the house is a believer. So just because it says it baptized everyone in the household, what would be the logical way to interpret that based off all the other scriptures? That everyone in the household is not. Whoa, is that so hard? Is that so difficult? Huh. But no, someone will go, look, look, it says household. It says, that's babies. That's babies. And I'm like, oh, the, whoa, with that kind of logic, I guess we baptized the dogs and the cats and the horses and the goats and everything else that was in the house. Like, I mean, just weird way of doing it. So that's just where everyone starts doing what? Running to individual verses. Well, let's... Let's establish a picture by looking at all the verses and going, okay, that's what it seems to teach. Now, based off that, cl- that clear, now let's go to the other verses that are questionable. Does that make sense? This teaches that weird, this almost uh, enforces that way of thinking that I just pull random scripture. No. Did we learn something? Yeah. How are we to live our life? Considering uh, that we're alive to God and we're dead to sin. That has real meaning and conviction and we can all take something away from that tonight. But the deeper lesson is when you see something like this, you need to know do what? Time out! Time out! Let's write these down. Let's work on it. Carefully, thoughtfully, so that we don't end up with some weird... Teaching. And if you're listening to Christian radio and someone just says something is mysterious and the Bible tells you it's mysterious, go look it up. Draw the right conclusion. All right, so we got a little bit of lesson there about how to interpret the Bible. And we, I mean, I, I do love working through those devotionals. That I love, I mean, I love trying to figure it out. So, but it can irritate me too as well. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We just thank you. We have the opportunity on a Wednesday night just to get together and look at a popular devotional, challenge ourselves, question it, and just try to get better at knowing how to handle the scriptures. There's so, so much carelessness with your word, and we should all be ashamed that that kind of carelessness has crept into Christianity, and it happens all the time. We should, if it, it's not our word. We didn't write it it, it, we don't have control over it. It's your word. And if we truly believe it's the in divinely inspired word that comes from you, then we should handle it with, we should show greater respect and care in how we handle it, how we read it, and how we listen to it being handled. And I pray that we would uh, continually to be challenged to do that better in every aspect of our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.